Uh, Father, we thank you so much that you are a perfect parent, and uh, it's, the list stops there, and we recognize that. I was reminded this morning as we sang that song, Your Blood throws, Flows Through Our Veins, that we have your DNA in us, and it, it equips us. We, whatever it is that we're going through now, we can do it, because your blood throws, flows through us. Father, this is a day that is difficult for many of us because of grief or, or just discomfort. We have uh, a conflicted relationship with our mother or she is no longer here or we do not have a relationship with her. And I pray, especially for those of us this morning who need your comfort, I pray, Spirit, that you would be a comforter. Touch our hearts, even in this moment, please. Lord, I also pray that you would help us all know how to honor our mothers. For those of us for whom they're not living, that we'll honor their memory today. For those of us whom our mothers are living, I pray that we will we'll honor them today, know how and know how to do that well. Thank you for uh, the gift that people who love us are to us, how they have informed us. Jesus, help us to hear from you today. We break open your words, speak to our hearts, we make ourselves available to you. In the strong name of Christ our Lord we pray, amen. Don't be seated yet. I'd like for you to remain standing. We'll go old school, we'll stand out of reverence for God's word. So we're going to hear from God's word this morning. We're, this is the second week of two weeks where we're talking about the whole family, and uh, we talked about parenting last week. We're going to again today. So I want you to listen um, as parents, many of you are, uh, of all ages. I also want you to listen as someone who prays for parents. You may not be a parent, but you know parents around you, and you, you pray for them. Listen as a prayer. I want you to listen as someone who, who works with children. And I want you to uh, listen to someone who maybe wants to be a parent one day. We're reading Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. We dealt with the first three verses last week, and we'll deal with verse 4 today. We had a family in our church, uh, someone was telling me yesterday, um, you know, they were giving their teenager a hard time last week. I hope you're listening about, uh, you know, honor your father and mother. And the teenager said, yeah, I can't wait till Sunday. You get talked to. So anyway, here we are. Children. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 through 4. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. The word of the Lord, you may be seated. Okay, so uh, there are four key observations that spill out of this verse. The, the middle two come directly from the verse itself, Ephesians 6, chapter, uh, chapter 6, verse 4. The other two, we're going to uh, float up to about the 60,000 foot level uh, for the first one and the last one. And observa key observation number one, God has a way of doing things. And God's way leads to human thriving. Teenagers, if you're in here this morning, I'm, I want you to listen to this. God has a way of doing things, and his way leads, over the long run, to human thriving. This observation is really just an applied 
restatement of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, isn't it? Do you know those verses? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He'll make your paths straight. Over the long run, there'll be a straight, uh, steady path. God has a way, and that way, when followed, leads to human thriving over the long run. Last week, and we'll review a little bit of last week. Last week, we cited some research suggesting that children in our country are in a great deal of distress in almost every imaginable category. And we could have, we could have cited volumes of research to support that. And that doesn't surprise us. We know this. We also cited research suggesting that there is a statistically significant difference between the rate at which children thrive when they are in whole families, families with biological mother and father at home. There's a statistically significant difference between the rate at which children thrive in whole families versus in families that are not whole, and that's just a fact. That's not to make any of us feel bad, and it doesn't guarantee that your kid, if you're in a a whole family, that your kid's going to get it all right and not have any problems. They will, and it doesn't guarantee that if you're you're not in a whole family, your your kids are going to be messed up. That's not the case, but it is just factually the case. There's a statistically significant difference between those two populations. We went further. We said that even though there's not enough research about this, although there is some, We said that I'm still convinced that when parents are operating in a way that is emotionally and spiritually whole, that also makes a very dramatic difference in children's ability to thrive long-term. In other words, in summary, when whole families are whole, are operating in ways that are emotionally and spiritually whole, then children have a greater chance of thriving. And last week, we noted that this research, don't miss this, supports what the Bible teaches. That was the point, really, and, and we shouldn't be surprised at this. That, that research, all of it, reflects reality. It's, it, that's just a survey of where we are and who we are. And God is very, very familiar with reality. He knows how reality works infinitely better than we do. And God wants us to thrive in reality, in real ways. And he knows how to sponsor our thriving. He commands us to act in ways that will sponsor our thriving. And when we listen, it has real world outcomes in the real world. God has a way. And when we follow his way, it makes a real positive difference in what happens to us. So then we asked, okay, well, what does it look like for a whole family to be whole? And that led us to this section of Ephesians. And we said the advice here is very simple and very straightforward. Children, obey your parents and honor them. Parents, do not exasperate your children and bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So last week we focused our attention on the first three verses. Today we look at the fourth verse, which brings us to key observation number two. Parents, do not provoke your children to anger. So verse four begins, fathers, it's the Greek word pater. It can also mean parent. It's actually translated that way in Hebrews chapter 11. So this verse is talking to mothers and fathers. 
Parents, do not exasperate your children. And that word exasperate means to cause someone to be angry. Some English translations actually have here, don't provoke your children to anger. So parents, don't do this. I saw an article this week that uh, the author listed some ways that parents can provoke their children to anger. This is not an exhaustive list, but it's interesting. It gives us some things to think about anyway. Uh, One, overprotection. We can actually provoke our children to anger by, uh, children need to take risks. They need to make mistakes, and we need to allow them to make mistakes. Overprotection can cause anger. Favoritism. Favoritism can... uh, can cause anger. Uh, We know as parents we're not supposed to have a favorite child uh, because it can sow anger into our children. Third, excessively pushing achievement. Pause for dramatic effect, Northern Virginia families, did you hear that? (laughs) Excessively pushing achievement, whether that's academic, athletic, I had a long discussion with a couple after the nine o'clock service about the burdens of travel soccer. And how all of the families think their children are going to be professional soccer players. Spoiler alert, they're not. Uh, Crushing expectation. Let let your kid be uh, what your kid is, what they're capable of. Fourth, discouragement. You know, no approval, no rewards, no affection can sow anger into our children. Fifth, not making sacrifices for them. If our children feel like an intrusion... They'll come to resent us, and anger will be sown into their hearts. Six, not letting them make mistakes. That's a little like overprotecting, isn't it? Let let them grow up. Look for progress, not perfection. Seven, neglect. Parents of young children, listen to me. Don't ever use, don't ever use withdrawal of your affection as a form of discipline. An eighth obvious uh, bitter words or physical cruelty, in other words, your anger. Your anger, when it's released on them, has a very good chance of taking root in them. Besides, when we are angry with our children, if you miss everything else, don't miss this if you're an angry parent. When we are angry with our children, parents, it's almost always because they have inconvenienced us or because their behavior reflects badly on us. When we are angry with our children, parents, it's almost always because they have inconvenienced us or because their behavior reflects badly on us. In other words, it's about us, not about them. And parenting, in its essence, is about them. Side note, you know, uh, some of us here are struggle with depression or negative feelings because of things in our childhood. You need to know that depression is probably repressed anger. Parents, don't provoke your children to anger. This doesn't mean that your child will never be angry in you in some passing way, but there's a difference between the five-year-old who's angry that she doesn't want to go to bed and the 13-year-old who's angry at your unfair treatment, which will eventually settle into their character. As a way of highlighting this idea, I want to underscore this just to make sure we get this. I'm I'm just trying to bring punch to the same idea. I want you to hear something of the context within which this teaching was given, the, the, the world within which the Apostle Paul said this. I want us to appreciate just how radical this teaching was. This was written in the Roman world of first century A.D., 
that this world, that the Roman world, first century AD, did not address in any way the abuse of children. It was not even a category. For instance, Rome had a law known as patria protestus. It means basically the father's power. And the law specified that a father had ultimate authority over his children. They could sell them into slavery. They could beat them without repercussion. In fact, a father could inflict the death penalty on his own child without legal consequence. That wasn't considered murder. And this was in effect as long as the father was alive. I'd like to threaten my children with uh, this. By tradition, not always, but by tradition, in the Roman world, when a child was born, she was brought to her father's feet, and if the father stooped and acknowledged the child, it had a right to live. If the father walked away, then the child would be thrown away. There's a fairly well-known first century B.C., so it's in the same time period, first century B.C. letter written by a Roman soldier named Hilarion to his wife Alice, A-L-I-S. You can Google this. He says this, Know that we are now still, even now, in Alexandria. He was a Roman soldier in, in Egypt. Uh, do not worry, even if all others return and I remain in Alexandria. I beg and beseech you to take care of the little child, and as soon as we receive wages, I will send them to you. If you give birth to multiples, if there's a boy, let it live, but if they are girls, expose them. Unwanted children in Rome and the Roman world were often left in the Roman forum, just abandoned. And then at night, uh, sometimes these abandoned children were collected by people who might want them for awful purposes, like a extreme physical labor or, or prostitution. And sometimes unwanted children were simply left out in the open or, or thrown into the river to drown. The, the Roman philosopher Seneca once wrote this, we slaughter a fierce ox, we strangle a mad dog, we plunge the knife into the sickliest cattle. When children are weak and deformed, we drown them. Look, I say all of that to highlight the radical departure from cultural norms that God is advocating for his people here. We're, we're not like that. Do not provoke your children to anger. This was a radical departure from the cultural norm. So remember, if you were here last week, you might remember, we, we, we settled this, we situated it, we couched all of this in this entire section of Ephesians where Paul is talking about the family. And he begins in chapter 5, all the way back, verse 21, he says, submit yourselves to one another. We said, we are an always be submitting culture, an ABS culture. Always be submitting. We're always submitting to one another. And wives in particular, you submit to your husbands. We're all people under authority. We're under the authority of God. And, and to learn that, we're all people in all areas of life under authority. And you wives get to demonstrate that to the world by showing the world what it looks like to really submit, helpfully submit to your husbands. And, husband, and do that with respect, he says, in all things. And husbands, you submit to your wives by loving them. And, and loving them, Paul says, by, by the, the same way Christ loved his church, laying down your life for them. So husband, even when it's about you, it's not about you. We submit to our wives. We, we lay down our lives for them. And then he gets to children. He says, children, you submit by obeying your parents and honoring them. And parents, you submit to your children by refusing to provoke them to anger. Uh, by the way, if you and I follow Christ and we sometimes find ourselves completely outside of what's normal in our thinking, and we do, that's nothing new. 
That has always been the case for those of us who have aligned our hearts with God's will. Parents, do not provoke your children to anger. Instead, and that brings us to key observation number three, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Bring them up, parents. They won't get there by themselves. We have to bring them into this. Bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. God has a way, and we need to train our children in the vital importance of a real relationship with Him and of the freedom and benefits of living His way. It makes life work. The word training means discipline. We'll take that first, then we'll do instruction. Someone defined discipline as, as like this. Training by rules, regulations, and standards which are enforced by rewards and punishment. We must train them up. Let me say a word here that will bring these two ideas together. This idea of not provoking our children to anger and training them. Let's bring those together. Last week I talked about the importance of training our children to respectfully obey the first time. I said, if we have to repeat and repeat and repeat and browbeat, that's not obedience. That's just might makes right eventually. I also said, if their effort is not offered respectfully, then it's not honor. It's just acquiescence. So we must train toward respectful obedience the first time. Well, someone sent me a really good article this week about the dangers of overemphasizing this idea. The idea of respectfully obeying the first time. In fact, I think an overemphasis on respectfully obeying the first time is another path towards sowing anger into our children. It can become an unrealistic expectation. This is just a parentheses warning for us. I want you to imagine that you uh, had an appointment last week with a world-renowned Christian child psychologist. I don't know if that resume exists, but uh, you, you had that appointment, and you go in to your appointment and you say, hello, uh, Dr. World Renowned, I need some help. I need you to explain something to me and help me with something. Okay, tell me. Um, you know, my pastor Ed, who's um, really awesome, very cool, a lot of other great adjectives. He said last week uh, that we should train our children to respectfully obey the first time. And my, my child does not respectfully obey the first time I, I, I was upstairs. She was throwing Legos around the room. I walk by the room. Stop throwing Legos. You're going to hit your little brother. I go into the bathroom. I come out. Legos still flying around the room. Stop throwing Legos around the room. Dirtiest things up. You're going to hit your little brother. I go into my bedroom. Next thing I hear, there's a squeal coming from the room, and she's hit her little brother with a Lego in the head. I go back in and I yell, "Stop throwing Legos at your little brother." That's never happened in any of your homes, but imagine it's all imaginary. And you say, uh, Dr. World-Renowned, please explain to me what is going on. Help. And Dr. World-Renowned, I imagine, is going to say, Do you, would you like an explanation for uh, your daughter's behavior? Yes. Here's the explanation. She's nine, right? That's what you're there for. This is a process. This is why you're in her life. Continue to train her carefully, intentionally, firmly, consistently, with love. And you are to train her towards God's way, not toward your convenience. It's, not, it's never about your convenience. It's about God's way for her. So, of course, you want to encourage her respectful, immediate obedience. But remember two things. One, 
This is hard for you. In your relationship with God, sometimes you don't get it the first time. And remember, this is for her good. This will motivate you in the right direction. This is for her good. That's why you're offering the training. It will serve her in the long run. If you were here last week, you also may remember the summary we offered of uh, parenting that we borrowed from John MacArthur. He took it from Luke 2.52. I said we use that verse every time we do a, 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 a baby dedication here at Gateway. It's, it's Luke's kind of passing summary statement of Jesus' childhood. Luke 52 says this, 2.52. Jesus grew in wisdom, stature, and favor with God and others. And according to MacArthur, that forms the substance of our parental training, and I think that's pretty good. So we are to bring them up in wisdom. That's not just smarts. They need smarts, but that's smarts rightly applied to life. And then we are to bring them up in physical stature. So once in a while, you've got to throw food at your children. And then we have to, we have to bring them up in the favor of God. That means having a right relationship with Him and understanding what that means. And finally, we bring them up in the favor of others. That means training them in what it means to have healthy relationships with others, to be able to form healthy relationships with other humans. Parents, help them grow in these four areas. Bring them up in the training. And then he goes on, doesn't he? And instruction of the Lord. So instruction here refers to the teaching side of this. In other words, bring them up by what you do and by what you expect them to do, the training, and by what you say and what you teach them and how you instruct them. Parents, we must teach our children God's way. Let me say a special word to those of you who are parents of teenagers. This is one of the areas where I feel like I, as a parent, failed. I, when my children got older, I let go of this aspect of, of our relationship too easily. I, I don't feel like I put enough effort and enough intentionality into figuring out and praying through how to continue speaking into my, actively speaking into my children's life spiritually. And, and some of you do. And that's awesome. I let go of that too easily. So if you're a parent of teenagers, especially young teenagers, don't think about it. Don't let go of it. I know it's tough. But it can be done. When our children were little, as with many of you, you know, it was easier, and we were very good at this. So we'd put them to bed every night, and we'd read them a little Bible story, and we're teaching them to pray, and we were intentional about it, the things that we taught them, and, and uh, we would talk with one another. And, you know, Dawson's learning the Lord's Prayer. It's hilarious. I think Graham learned it before Dawson did. We weren't even trying to teach him. He was just listening in the top bunk. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, and then, then regularly, we had a family devotional night. And for our family devotional night, I don't know, some of you have these in your homes. You remember those, well, you don't need to remember. For some of you, this is active. But we had those uh, cardboard l little boxes, like the size of a shoebox that looked like bricks. And uh, we had a pile of those in one of the bedrooms. So uh, we'd go upstairs, we'd gather about eight or ten of those, and we'd come downstairs and we'd make a little altar thing in the middle of our living room, and then we'd put, set a candle in the middle of it just to kind of ceremonialize this. And we'd grab our boys and we'd sit them around it and totally made all of this up, don't tell them that. And we'd say things like, oh, you can't light the candle until you get to be five, so Graham, you're not big enough yet, but Dawson, your turn. <sighs> and Dawson would light the candle, and then we'd read a Bible story, 
And, and I would say something like, hey, men, you know what? God loves us. And that story shows us how and, and what his love looks like. Isn't that awesome? Let's pray. And then Diane would pray, Jesus' name, amen, and I'd jump on top of him and tickle him. It was, you can't do that with 15-year-olds. Uh, I don't know what I thought. I, I think I just sort of hoped that it was happening through osmosis. They were getting it from us. Uh, I think I let go of that too easily. Parents, bring your children up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Give them instruction about life, about relationships. A lot of that happens on the way with teenagers. Some of it needs to be intentional. Take them away for a night. About money, about cars, most of all about God. Most of all. Let's end with a, a final observation. Key observation number four. Make faithfulness your aim, not perfection. Let's pause for dramatic effect. I'm going to repeat that one again for all of the perfectionistic Northern Virginians in the room. Make faithfulness your aim, not perfection. Okay. Remember, this is a process. It is training, ongoing. Make faithfulness your aim. So I, let, me say, let me say four things about faithfulness. A lot more could be said, but let's just highlight four critical things about faithfulness for us this morning to just give us some things to think about and pray about. Number one, faithfulness in parenting requires intentionality. What, what, how can we do this better? How should we handle this? How do we, how do we derail this? Or how do, we, how do we redirect this? I wonder if there's another uh, set of parents that we could talk to who have been through this. I wonder if there's somebody else that we could get to pray with us about this. Uh, careful intentionality. Secondly, faithfulness in parenting requires warm firmness. Warm, loving, warm, affectionate. Firmness. I know that I'm about to get in trouble. I'm going to get a few emails. I know this is not popular, but look, Proverbs, the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament, six times it says, use the rod on your child. Now, you don't have to spank your children to faithfully parent them, but you do have to have a method of applying firmness with warmth. Diane and I spanked our children. I might be reported these days, but we spanked. Not very often, and we always did it carefully and lovingly. It was usually me. We would march upstairs, and I would say, this is not going to feel good, buddy, but this was a big one. So I'm about to spank you. Do you have to? I'm afraid I do. Yes. <laughs> With most children, you don't have to spank very often. In fact, if you have to spank often, it's probably the night, not the right form of firmness. But if it's applied with warmth, not in anger, with most children, it works. Faithfulness in parenting requires warm firmness. Third, faithfulness in parenting requires consistency. This is almost a don't miss this principle. Do what you say you're going to do and do it the same with all your children all the time. 
I didn't want to introduce a lot of studies today. I had a bunch, but they all got edited out. But I, I do want to reference one today. There were, back in the 90s, there was a study by Harvard University. They did a long-term study of children caught in the juvenile system and children who are outside of it. And they wanted to identify the leading factors that determine whether a kid ended up, you know, in a, with violence in their uh, in part of the system or if they were not. And the study found that, quote, American sociologists have grossly overemphasized the group, gang, or cultural influences as the root causes of delinquency, shutting their eyes to the key importance of the role of family drama, especially affection relationships, disciplinary practices, and emotional tensions, end quote. They went on to list a bunch of things that we normally think of as factors uh, contributing to delinquency and dismissing them all in their study. They just were not, they were what they called uh, causally neutral. But I want you to hear especially one of these. I think this is fascinating. Along with this, the study specifically dismissed, you know, as I said, many explanations, but listen to this one. Quote, as an example of this, as an example of the thing that we tend to think contributes to this that doesn't. As an example of this, one of the of the traditional explanations of the cause of delinquency is the feeling of not being loved or a low self-esteem. The study found that such a feeling existed to a marked degree in 84% of the delinquents, but also in 88% of the non-delinquents. Thus, it would appear that this feeling is one which is widespread among the children of the area studied irrespective of their antisocial behavior. Consequently, the study was forced to consider it causally neutral. Wait a minute. We live in a self-esteem cult. And some would have you believe that your main job as a parent is to promote your child's self-esteem. That is factually not the case. That's not your main job. It will not drive toward their thriving. It is causally neutral. Plus, it's something that can't be gotten at directly. I'll explain that in a second, but look, self-esteem, of course, is important. It's important that we feel rightly about ourselves. We're, we're, we're loved by God. It's important that our children have a sense of self-esteem, and we, we do want to pass that on. This is not your main job, and it cannot be gotten at directly. Here's what I mean. So, you know, some of you know that this physically, if you don't try it tonight, well, it's cloudy, but on the next non-cloudy night, try this. When you go outside and look at the night sky, if there's a dim star above you, if you look directly at it, you can't really see it. That's just the way the rods and cones in your eye work. It, it just has to do with how we take in light. If you, look if you find a star, look just to the left or right, the star will brighten up in your vision. Self-esteem is like that. Your child will grow in self-esteem as a byproduct of doing the right things in the right way. Do you know what the study did identify as the main factors separating the two populations? They identified two main differentials. Delinquents to a significantly higher degree were found to have aggressive personalities, and almost universally, they came from, quote, unstable families. End quote. They did not have a, quote, consistent, loving 
adult presence, end quote, in their life. This illustrates two things, doesn't it? First of all, it's another illustration that living God's way has real-world consequences. And secondly, parents, we need to be consistent. Faithfulness in parenting requires consistency. Faithfulness does not mean that you always get it right. Let's speak this over our lives as individuals as well, not just as parents. Faithfulness doesn't mean that you always know the answer. Faithfulness doesn't mean consistently perfect outcomes. Even if we do all of this as best we can, and that's that's part of the requirement, to do our best as best we can, even if our children still make their own decisions, and they will still have problems, just as we do. That's why they need God, just as we do. That's why, finally, faithfulness requires lots of grace for yourself and for your kids. Lots of grace. I want to speak, uh, before we end, I want to speak a word to uh, parents of older children. Um, And by the way, all of you will eventually end up with that. It doesn't seem like it right now, but if your parents are young, you will eventually be a parent of older children. Uh, a couple of years ago, we went on vacation um, to the beach with our children for a couple of weeks, and they all went with us. Our, our, our men are now all in their early 30s, and uh, they still go on vacation with us, which, you know, is, uh, a sign, it's either a sign of incredible parenting or free vacation at the beach. I don't know. Um, but they, they went to the beach with us. And one night, uh, Diane and I uh, decided that we, we went, went out to dinner, and we thought, well, you know, let's, let's have a conversation with them. And we, we spent, oh, several hours at the restaurant, great conversation. Um, and we just wanted to give them space. And so, you know, we said, hey, guys, what, what, did, what did your mom and I do well, when, you know, as you were coming along? What, what, what worked? What, what was good? And so they said some good stuff, and it was a really sweet time. And then, uh, you know, we said, okay, so what did, what did we mess up? What did mom and I not get right that, that um, it may be causing you problems? We need to uh, apologize for, you need counseling for, what, what, what did we not do right? And initially they were like, oh, you know, you were perfect, especially mom, you did everything right. And so then, seriously, so then, uh, uh, you know, we said, no, no, look, I mean, and we named a thing or two that we thought we had not done perfectly just to create space for them. And once we did, the floodgates opened and I was like, slow your roll. But, I mean, it's, <laughs> there were some good things, I'm sure, relax. It was a great conversation. It really gave me an opportunity to connect in a new way, especially when I've got one introvert, and I'm sure I abused him. I didn't know he was an introvert until he was in his 20s. I'm serious. So we spent his childhood with me going, get out there! And he's like, go away from me, probably sowing some anger into his life. Uh, so this was a really good, warm conversation for us, created space for them. I think it's helped all of our relationship. And I, I walked away with a, a couple of, Really important observations. I realized in that conversation that 97 point 
6% of our parenting is done. <laughs> but I still hold out hope for that 2.4%. And there's still, there's still some parenting to be done. The other thing I realized is the, the most important job I have, I, th- I realized it because it's, it's one of the few things left. I wish I'd realized it years ago to the degree that it's the case. It's really the most important job for all of us. The most important job I have is praying for them. I can pray. I can pray without ceasing. I can pray his character into their life. I can pray for protection. I can pray for wisdom. Uh, I mean, I've always done that, but I I think I've done that with a a new fervor uh, since then. Um, So, with that in mind, uh, for those of you who know my wife, she's much more godly than I am, and Diane's a woman of prayer. So Diane has written out five short prayers, one for each day of the week, for kids, and I'm going to put those on uh, the sermon card of mygateway.life. So if you go to mygateway.life, click on the sermon card, you'll get Diane's prayers. And we'll also uh, try to put them on Facebook this week. Um, And I, I, I just encourage you, Monday... Read that and then add your own stuff. And Tuesday, uh, read that and add your own stuff because the most important thing we can do is pray. Because look, no matter how good you do, you will not be perfect. But no matter how, no matter how effective you are as a parent, and listen, just, I said this last week, but a quick word to those of you who are parents of young kids, we all thought we were as awesome as you think you are. In a few years, you will realize you're not nearly as awesome as you think you are. Uh, and um, I forgot what I was going to say, but it was really good. So imagine it was very moving and really powerful. And it related, it related, <laughs> it related to praying for them. That's our job, parents. Because here's the thing, yeah, they, they're going to have problems. It's, it's the condition of the planet, just like you do which means they need God, just like you do. Let's pray. Father, we come to this topic, and I just feel so much in need of grace. And I'm so thankful we have it because of what you have done in Jesus on the cross, taking all of our mistakes and all of our sin and crucifying it, slaying it, and then rising from the dead, overcoming it. And what you offer to us now is life and freedom, and you offer it graciously. So, Lord Jesus, this morning we say yes, and on Wednesday when we have forgotten and we're wanting to take all of this up again and feel badly or feel burdened or it's all, it's about us. Remind us that this morning we said, yes, it's about you. I pray for those who are parents of young children. I pray for your grace. I pray for your wisdom. I pray that you would call them, Lord, to the awesome task of bringing up their kids in the training and instruction of the Lord and not doing it in a way that provokes them to anger. Lord, I pray for parents of uh, students in middle school and high school. I pray, Lord, that they will continue to 
pray about and think about and seize, make up opportunities to speak in, continue, continue to speak in to the lives of their kids. Speaking in life and love and, and Jesus. And I pray, Lord, for those of us who are parents of older kids, bring us to our knees and make us a loving resource whenever that is what is needed. Jesus, I pray again this morning for those of us who are struggling with a day like today, grace, comfort, Lord, speak that over our hearts and our lives. I pray, Lord, for those of us who are not yet parents and would like to be one day, God, I, uh, show favor and uh, we surrender, actually, and we pray in that, in all of that, in our plans and our, our thoughts that your will would be done. We give it to you. And Lord, seal up what we've talked about today and use it for your glory in our lives and in the lives of our children. In the strong name of Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen.